The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. I will not wear the mask. 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 I will not wear a mask. I will not get the vaccine. I will not get the vaccine. And I will not get the vaccine. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust, and I will not be afraid. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day. For the Lord is the great God, and the great King above all. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of this I hate the work of those who fall away. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall stand. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmony sound. For you, O Lord, have made me glad through your works. I will you, triumph in the works of your faith. are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. I will defy tyrants. 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 And with that, good morning, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people. All the boat rockers are in the house. The tyrant defying boat rockers <laughs> and anybody else i may have missed too the sons of liberty radio show here on red state talk radio where we use the bible and the constitution not to see who's on the right or the left but who is on the straight and narrow i'm your host tim brown coming to you live from the u.s occupied state of south carolina the editor at sons and for muslim friends i'm the infidel that allah warns you about i hold to the book the bible as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsofLibertyRadio.com and also SonsofLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you are listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you'd like to watch the video portion of the radio show, head over to SonsofLibertyMedia.com and uh, scroll down on the right side of the page and you'll see where we are. You can click on that and enlarge it. That's right. You can see the face that's made for radio right there. And uh, while you're there, click on the icon of the platform we're on. And blow and and join us in the uh, in the chat room. We got a lot of friends in there this morning. Good morning, to all you guys. Great to see you again uh, this morning. We're also not only live here. We're live on DLive.TV at the Sons of Liberty, 
as well as beforeitsnews.com right there at the top of the page. Our friend Michael Roach has uh, graciously given us a spot there every morning, so we appreciate that. And then also our Rumble page, Sons of Liberty Radio Live. Sons of Liberty Radio Live, all one word. Go to rumble.com, search, change your search from videos to channels, put, put that in as one word, and you'll find us there. We're streaming live over there as well. And uh, then right above where I'm streaming is Bradley's show from yesterday. So you can click on that. If you missed the show, you can catch that. It will go live today at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central for two hours. He's on for two hours today, so you can catch him there. And then right above that is where you can subscribe to our email newsletter. We don't rent your email, sell it, or spam it to anybody. Um, and uh, you just get the one email from us a day, uh, each day, and that is that includes the morning show archive. So... What we talk about here, the links that we have, videos, any of that stuff that we that we do, we um, <clears throat> will make sure that you you have those here. Uh, there was something I meant to pull up here because I I I I have it on my heart that I want to put this stuff out, and then I forget to do those kinds of things. So um, let me bring this up just real quick because what I want to do is before I well. I've got it in place. If you'd like to help us out and uh, you are able to do so, we'd love for you to support us in what we do. We don't ask you for money, but we do say we have needs. Uh, it costs money to do all the different things that we do. So if you're able to help and you want to help us, please click on the donate button, top of You can make a one-time donation or you can partner with us monthly as a son or daughter of Liberty. And uh, uh, that link is also available. Our store is also available. And this week we're highlighting last day for to get the deal on the prayer that rocked the Capitol. And this is back from 2011. Bradley was asked to deliver the prayer at the Minnesota, Minnesota House session at the State House there. And um, <laughs> I mean, there was nothing controversial in it at all. It was, a, it was one of the simplest prayers uh, that you'll hear. And yet... The Mockingbird media picked up on it, and because they didn't like his stance of going into the public schools and telling our Christian and constitutional heritage to the young people who aren't being taught that, they maligned him in the press, and uh, as such, as we say here at the Sons of Liberty, their cruelty swell our ranks. Uh, they, in fact, did that. They gave him a, a bigger national platform than he, than he had uh, by bringing him on and maligning him in the way they did. So if you want to pick up that DVD, you can. it's normally $20.00. You can get 25% off when you use the promo code 25PRAYER. That's the number 25, prayer, one word, as a promo code. You'll get 25% off. So that is good through midnight tonight. So if you want this DVD, you want to see what was going on there, and you want to hear an encouraging message. See, here's the thing. And I thought about it today uh, because I was going to make mention of Kate. Uh, you know, we've, we've known each other about a, a year and a half now or so, and I've seen most of you don't see the the changes in language and the um, transparency that goes on off air. I hope I'm not going to embarrass her with this or whatever, but I, I've seen that. I've seen the growth. I was communicating that to Bradley the other day. And part of the way that happens is as God sanctifies us, he sometimes puts us in the vice, if you will, to mold us and shape us to the image of his son, the Lord Jesus. And uh the same thing's happening here with, with Bradley. There, when you go through the fire, it tests you to see if you're going to remain faithful in that. And, um, and as a result of that, God gives victory on the other side of that. You know, we talk about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and as, 
<laughs> as Bradley used to say, a bad Negro. No, I'm just teasing. Uh, Abednego. And, uh, you know, they went through, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went through the fire. And the fourth man showed up and they were delivered. And Daniel would not partake of the king's food. And as a result of that, God blessed him and his friends. And he showed them uh, that he was strong in on their behalf. And so, uh, yeah, if you see this, you'll be encouraged to do that. I know some of you out there, you're wondering, am I going to have to take this shot? I don't want it. I've resisted it this long, but they're going to take my job, blah, blah, blah. Look, remain faithful, okay? Take the stand and remain faithful. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. I got that up here uh, right in front of my desk here. If you'll do that, he will show himself strong. I, I Trust me on that, okay? All right, so we've got a special show for you today. Um, <clears throat> you guys remember when we were doing the, uh, when we were covering the protest the other week, and Kate, before that, we had done some, art, we had done an article uh, on attorney Anna DeBusserate. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing, not, and not slaughtering the name. She'll correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong. We had her on. And then uh, when Kate was out in the protest, we also got to do a short interview with her. And um, so she's going to be joining us today with Kate. But right before I bring them on, let me bring this up because I, I, I told uh, Professor David Clements I'm going to, I, I really want to do this because we did it with the Bundy Ranch guys. We did it with the Oregon guys. And so let me just take time to uh, you know, read off some of these names. These are some of the political prisoners. These are some of the people who were arrested in, um, on January the 6th. And for their protest that they wanted a fair election, that they knew there was fraud, just like we've said on here. And so you can go to the prisoner's record on Telegram. And these are here. And uh, David is providing not only the names, but he's also providing ways that you can pray for them, their families. You can, some of them have crowdfunding support because a lot of these guys, a lot of these are men who have families. And because they've been in prison since then, I mean, talk about no due process. Talk, talk about a, a, a violation of the right to a speedy trial. These guys are sitting in there, and some of them are in a cage all day long, 24 hours a day. They haven't been convicted of a crime or anything. Okay, They have done nothing wrong, and they're denied, some of them are denied water. They have to beg the guards for water. Here in America, this is not China. Get your eyes off of China for a minute. Look at the tyrants who are in your government in D.C. And somebody said yesterday when we had our interview with uh, uh, Joni uh, Marquez, when she said, uh, well, what does that entail? And they said, do you want to kill terrorists? And somebody said, well, did they send you to D.C.? Well, that's exactly right. The terrorists are in D.C., Washington, D.C. And as we're going to hear today, they're also over there in uh, Old England. Uh, they're there. Let me read off a couple of these names. Ron Melee, Joseph Hackett, Sergeant Kenneth Harrelson, Scott Fairlam, um, Coy Griffin, Derek Kennison, Eric Warner, Felipe Martinez, Paul Johnson, Jake Angeli, Angeli, Jacob Anthony Chansley is, I guess, the full name or whatever, Kyle Young, Christopher Worrell, Jack Witten, Michael Foy, Robert Bachelor, Jason, or excuse me, James McGrew, Guy Reffitt, Joseph Lino Padilla, Douglas Jensen, Peter Steger, Julian Qatar, Ryan Nichols, George Tanios, Shane Jenkins, Daniel Goodwin, Paul Hodgin, Hodgkins, Dominic Pozzola, Tim Hale, Jennifer 
uh, Heinel, John Mott, Tracy Sundstrom, and David Judd, and uh, there's there's more lists of these names. You can get those, you can find those at the Prisoner's Record on Telegram. Now, I have the link up, so if you have the Telegram app, you're able to go there. Every day they're putting those off, okay? They're, they're not putting them off. They're, they're putting them out to you so that you can pray for them, so you can support them, support their families if you have the means to do that. And I would highly suggest that you go over there, and if nothing else, if you don't have the means to financially support and help with the families, that you can come over there and you can pray for them, maybe get in touch with them, write them a letter. I tell you, one of the biggest things that the guys out there at Bundy Ranch in Oregon who took that stand, they said it was tremendously encouraged, encouraging to get a letter just get a letter from somebody to read to let that they knew somebody on the outside was keeping them in their prayers. They were uh, being reminded that people were talking about it. They were keeping their story out in the open because they have no voice right now. So I just want to throw that out there. All right, now on to the main event. <laughs> We've got uh, Attorney Anna and our own health and wellness expert Kate Shimarani with us this morning. Good morning, ladies. Good to see you. Morning. Good morning. It's great. And Anna, great I think. To- I, hang on, Anna, I think you're muted there, so you might have to unmute yourself. And we've got a cat there. What's the cat's name? That cat is a... That the is cat a t- is called Tickle. <laughs> Tickle. always wants to be on the show. <laughs> okay, that's fine. That's great. Okay, Kate, you were saying? Uh, first of all, talk to... Sh- I'm a big cat lover. I have 12. I'm now down to three. <laughs> talk to show cats like Tickle. They're only ever female. And they're known as naughty torties because they're generally <laughs> mental. And they sit and look at you and then jump. Uh, so I was just going to say it's great because now you have two surnames to pronounce, Tim. Yes. And uh, it is. And I just want to, I sent you today a recording that was sent to me last year by a, a veteran lieutenant Marine from the Marine Corps in America. And it is Ezekiel. I've sent it to you. It's only a couple of a minute or so long. I sent it to you on Telegram. Uh, Ezekiel twenty five seventeen, and uh, it's the most amazing recording that this Marine did for me, and I listen to it often. And for any of you who are out there, Anna pointed something out to me yesterday, which was, when I think about what she pointed out to me, it was so fantastic, but it was so spine-chilling. I told her about a particular nurse who is constantly posting you know, get vaccinate the children. This is safe and everything else. And she said to me, that's a war criminal. And so I have been feverishly today. I went on to RT, who did the hit piece, which I've also given to you, um, trying to liken me, calling me the poster girl, a woman of 56 almost, and the leader, which I'm not. And that humbles me. But let me tell you, the people... When the people rise, they rise. And it's the people that are leading this. And I cannot be what the people are together. Amen. I've gone on there and I've left him a comment. And I have said, you, sir, at the end of my comment, are a war criminal. And the Rome statute will decide your fate, not I. And uh, because of what he's written in there about this injection uh, and completely misinformation, So um, I've done that and I went on to listen to Ezekiel and I would tell everyone because when you listen to Ezekiel or you, you read it, read it out loud, 2517, when God brings his wrath down on those evil doings of men, you'll know 
it's God. You'll know it's him. Amen. Let me uh, let me just let me just read that. Uh you know, I don't I don't know where he was getting some of the other stuff he said before he actually got to that verse. I couldn't find that. That wasn't in the context, but you're exactly you know, I've given you the recording, which is a minute of the routine. Yes, I, I understand um, that. But what, I, what I'm saying is when I when I brought up uh, Ezekiel 17, or excuse me, 25, 17, there's nothing about the poison and all of this other stuff that's in there. So I'm, I'm wondering where you got that. But he did he did read from Ezekiel 17, and I'm in agreement with you what it says. It says, I will execute great vengeance upon them with furious rebukes, and they shall know that I am the Lord when I shall lay my vengeance upon them. And, you know, Kate, one of the, this is the God, you know, the Bible tells us there's two kinds of false prophets. There's the one that says this thing's going to come to pass and it doesn't come to pass. You have a rock party with that guy. You put him six feet under. Okay. There's another false prophet that comes along and he says something will come to pass and it does come to pass, but he leads you after a God you have not known. You're not to fear him either. You're to do the same thing to that guy. And what we have is we have people just all of a sudden, you know, all they want to talk about is the love of God, the love of God. He's he's not the, you know, the Old Testament God. You know, this is this dispensational thing. He's a mean, nasty, wrathful, you know, hellfire and brimstone kind of God. But the New Testament God is loving, and he's like grandfatherly, and he's all full of mercy. And look, God is full of mercy. There's no question about that. Uh, he is gracious. He is loving. In fact, the Bible says God is love. But to isolate that, Outside of his justice, that is part of his character too. In fact, the Bible tells us that God is known by his judgments. The people don't learn by grace. They learn because he brings his judgments upon them. And this is a, this is a great thing. It's a warning to the people of the earth that the creator's eyes are not blind to seeing what you're doing. It doesn't matter how in secret you do it or how many conspirators you have that you do it in secret. He sees it all. And he will bring great vengeance upon you. And I think that was really where it was going anyway, is, is a warning to those who forsake the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, and I think, you know, Anna also, she sent me, um, she sent me some, some reading, some homework, and it was the trials of the war criminals before the Nuremberg military tribunals. So I'm going to just say this, I'm going to shut up and just let Anna go. And I started to read it. And it took me back to so many um, examples through nursing, which I have seen in my career all the way through. Um, I've seen cruelty. I've seen lots of things. I've spoken out about it. But when I began to read of the experiments that these people did, I remembered incredible bone pain that patients went through when they had tumors in their bones. And what they're actually doing, taking bone, putting it in someone else, and the pain and suffering that these, these people, human beings, God's children, were put through by so-called professionals who believed that they were doing the right thing, that they were heroes because this was a war. And then I thought of protect the NHS, heroes, and they're not what they are doing today will be classed as war crimes in the future. They are the war criminals of the future. Because today, as we speak, at Blue Water, the biggest shopping mall in the UK, there is a vaccination, as they call it, and it's called Grab a Jab. These are not vaccines, they're bioengineering grab a jab and they are injecting pregnant women 
at Blue Water wow. today, the unborn, the innocents suffer. You little, little children come unto me. These nurses are doing this at Blue Water. These are crimes against humanity. There is no difference when Anna pointed this out to me and we went and read uh, page 181. And these are war criminals. And the reason everyone got so triggered and even Keir Starmer and Sadiq Khan, I don't believe they actually listened to the video. They just got their PR team to say, oh, yes, we're going to have it investigated. They got so triggered by what I said, which was not anything against the doctors and nurses. I told them that they were accountable for their actions and their omissions by what I was saying. I told them that when governments take over the healthcare, you're no longer advocating the patient. You're, you're going along with government diktats. Right. Yep. I reminded them of what happened to the nurses and doctors at Nuremberg, which it did, and they stood trial, and sentence was handed down, and some of them were hung. And then I asked them to get off that bus, the vaccine buses, get off the bus and stand with us, the people. You called because for them to you, repent. You called for them to repent. That's what you called for. That's exactly what it is. So for those people today that are at blue water, not knowing what they are injecting, what it does to the human body, or of all the adverse events that are on the yellow card reporting scheme, which is only a small percentage that they should know about, they are the war criminals. And this will come. This will come. Judgment will come to pass. Not from me. Not from me. And I'm going to let Anna explain where that comes from. And we're working together. And we're going to be doing something so fantastic, which we spoke of yesterday, which will all be filmed from start to finish. And you're going to see completely who we are and what we are about. And we are guided by the law. And we're guided by humanity. And that's what we're about. And that's all I have to say. That's right. Anna, now, here's what I want to do. I want you to tell us, give, take a couple of minutes and tell us about yourself. But what I want to do, we're going to talk about God's law. And one of the things I was most impressed about you when we interviewed you there, sort of impromptu uh, at the protest, was what the first words out of your mouth was about, this is, you know, they're not upholding God's law. They're sworn to uphold God's law. You know, all of this and all of the common law. And I forget the other law. You'll have to refresh me on that that you mentioned that was under that all stem from God's law. And if they're not in accordance with God's law, then they're not law. They're pretended law, as, our, as uh, you know, America's founding fathers said. They, they, they pretend law. They write legislation, say it's law, but it's really not. So what I want to do is I want to open up with this, and then I want you to tell us about yourself and kind of express how this particular thing that I'm going to read here uh, goes along with what you said. And if, got, ladies, if we have to go over, we'll do that. You know, Saturdays is usually no problem to do that as well. This is the, um, <clears throat> this is the co Queen's Coronation Oath from 1953 and June the 2nd. And here's what she had to say. The things which I have here before perform or promised, I will perform and keep. So help me God. Now, she's appealing to the Creator because... England has foundations very much like America's in which it was based upon the God of the Bible, the creator of all things, the Lord Jesus Christ, John 1.1, 1, 1, right? And here's, here's how it went. In the coronation ceremony of June the 2nd, uh, you guys write it all backwards uh, over there, <laughs> June the 2nd, 1953, one of the highlights was when the queen made her coronation oath, 
taken from the order of service for the coronation. The queen having returned to her chair, her majesty having already on Tuesday, the fourth day of November 1952, the presence of the two houses of parliament made and signed the declaration prescribed by act of parliament. The archbishop standing before her shall administer a coronation oath, first asking the queen, Madam, is your majesty willing to take the oath? And the queen answering, I am willing. The archbishop shall minister these questions, and the queen, having a book in her hands, shall answer each question uh, severally as follows. Archbishop, will you solemnly promise, he's asking this, would you solemnly promise and swear to govern the peoples of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, the Union of South Africa, Pakistan, and Ceylon, and of your possessions, and the other ter- territories to any of them belonging or pertaining according to their respective laws and customs. The queen says, I solemnly, pro- solemnly promise to, so to do. The archbishop then asks, Will you, to your power, cause law and justice and mercy to be executed in all your judgments? She says, I will. The archbishop then asks her, Will you, to the utmost of your power, maintain the laws of God and the true profession of the gospel? Will you, to the utmost of your power, maintain... This is for Queen Elizabeth, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Will you maintain and preserve inviolably the settlement of the Church of England? Now, we can talk about some of that, at, uh, the corruption that's in that. And the doctrine, worship, discipline, and government thereof, as by law established in England. And will you preserve into, unto the bishops and the clergy of England and to the churches these... They're, excuse me, they're committed to their charge... All such things and privileges as by law do or shall appertain to them or any of them. All this I promise to do, the queen says. Then the queen, arising out of her chair, supported as before, the sword of state being carried before her, shall go to the altar and make her solemn oath in the sight of all the people to observe the premises, laying her right hand upon the holy gospel in the great Bible, which was before carried in procession and is now brought from the altar by the archbishop and tendered to her as she kneels upon the steps and saying these words, These things which I have therefore promised I will perform and keep, so help me God. Then the queen shall kiss the book and sign the oath, and the queen having thus taken her oath shall return again to her chair, and the Bible shall be delivered to the dean of Westminster. Now, Anna... Tell us a little bit about yourself, and then let's elaborate on some of this, because I find this, this is so fascinating to me that the queen took this oath, and yet it seems to be utterly abandoned, no knowledge of the gospel, no knowledge of the scriptures or any of that. What, what say you? Oh, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really, really delighted to be here and to have the opportunity to be able to talk to so many people about this, because clearly it's affecting all of us around the globe. Um, what's happening so thank you very much and yeah sorry you've got all my animals <laughs> no that's fine that's fine get them all in the shot we'll, we'll take pictures of there them. are two more somewhere <laughs> um, but yeah so a bit about me um, well I grew up actually with two parents who were um, profoundly Christian so as from a small child you know I was um, very much brought up with scripture and uh, God's laws and enforced in within the family um but i was also brought up in a school because my parents ran a school and so right from a very early age i was taught so much about history and um you know what happened in the war etc etc my mother was an avid historian so she was always talking about the tudors and the war of the roses and the plantagenets so luckily for me it gradually all started to make sense as i got older and filled in the gaps 
But the other thing that happened to me was that I came from two deeply military families who served in both world wars. And remarkably, they all survived. But my uncle was caught by the German, uh, the Germans and put in a German prisoner of war camp and escaped by throwing his coat over the um, railings with two others and through the drains back through France and um, Spain, back to England and then went back over again for another pop. Um, because, you know, he was so indignant against the regime. And my father at 18 went in to help the Allies release the prisoners at war camp from, you know, all over the place. So as a child, I was dragged around concentration camps, battlefields, war cemeteries, uh, and I was made to constantly repeat, you know, don't you ever, ever, ever forget this. Don't you ever let it happen again. Amen. So, you know, when all of this, I, I then joined the army, I became an army officer. So I spent nine years um, as a in, uh, survival instructor, whilst I also was doing my degree, uh, which was a business degree initially, but then I specialised in law. And I've been practising law now for 25 years. Um, I'm a litigator. And during my practice, I've been a medical negligence litigator. So I used to work for the National Health Litigation Service Authority where we had to audit the litigation claims brought against the NHS, which was extraordinary. I read thousands of cases and it gave me a very good understanding of the kind of negligence that occurs. Um, but now I specialize in um, employment law, but as part of my practice, I obviously have to do a lot of human rights law. And I specialize with people with disabilities, particularly mental health disabilities. So issues like informed consent, uh, mental capacity, disabilities and how they affect someone's ability to um, uphold their rights but also to participate in society and give informed consent to what's going on around them is part of my practice so again when all of this arose um, given my background I was immediately deeply concerned about all the laws that were being broken I was concerned on a military level about this being bio-warfare and representing a threat and I was concerned on the level of the interventions that were being brought into society and the laws about just how much consent people were actually giving to what was going on. Um, so I've been working with a multi-team, multidisciplinary team for about a year and a half now of veterans, medics, scientists, doctors, lawyers, where we've been looking at everything that's going on, gradually working out the legal and evidential analysis. And, you know, I went public um, several weeks ago and said unfortunately the analysis is that this is genocide this is biowarfare and this is crimes against humanity um which is a horrible message to have to deliver to people but um i'm afraid it is what it is yeah i i think it is too and of course kate has been calling that out since the beginning this is one of the things that uh, i think people appreciate about kate and and the work she does not only does she love people to give them you know nutritional kind of uh instruction and, and information like that but uh, she's been faithful to stick to her guns as to what she said from the beginning. She hasn't altered that course. She's stuck to the same things that she said because it's based in the in the facts that she's brought out. So you seem that you've done that. You've been brought up uh, Deuteronomy six. You know your parents were faithful in teaching you those things. That's great to hear. And uh, and as you as you as you as you've gotten older, you know as you said, you filled in the, some of the pieces yourself. You've been doing the work for a number of years. And so here's the question I have for you. And maybe you can launch off into what's going on right now from, from our interview previously uh, from the protests. You know, you spoke about three different kinds of laws. I remember you said God's law, and then under that's common law. And there's a third one, if you want to hit on that. And can you speak to that and to how what I just read from the Queen's coronation oath, 
how those go together and how they've been abandoned by Parliament, by the, the royal family, all this stuff in England uh, there. Can you speak to all those things? I would love to. Yes, please. Because I've been um, reading court cases around the world where people are claiming jurisdiction from the Magna Carta, citing it as if it was the beginning of our charters of liberties. And I really would welcome the opportunity to put it straight on record, because actually, when you look at what, uh, who and what we were as a country pre-Roman invasion, so right back to 2000 years ago, We were already a Christian country before Christ, obviously, so a country that upheld God's laws at that point in accordance with the Old Testament. And that's on record before the Romans even came along. So, of course, when Jesus came along and the New Testament started to appear in the Gospels and the Roman Empire became Christian, um, we, living under the Roman Empire at that time, had officially transformed into a Christian nation officially in accordance with the Edict of Thessalonica, which was issued in 385 AD. So then you had all these people who left England because, well, Britain, because they came with the invasion, Roman invasion, but we were then immediately invaded by the Anglo-Saxons. So we had the Jutes and the Franks and the all kinds of tribes came to Britain, and then we all started to learn to live together. But it still remained a Christian country. And when you look at the laws that we had, we had the Roman laws, which was the Justinian Code and others. We had the Anglo-Saxon codes, which dealt with things like personal injury and murder and property and divorce and, you know, how to deal with your property. So we already had loads and loads of laws before the House of Commons even existed, for example. Um, And then you what you find in terms of God's laws is that every single monarch that accepted the position of crown in this constitution since before Roman times had to swear an oath to the people, a three-part oath. In some cases, it was four parts to the oath. But the first part was to uphold God's laws in accordance with the Old and New Testaments and the Gospels. The second part was to uphold the law of the realm, the common law, which included all those laws I've just talked about that were already in existence by those each time the monarch appeared. Um, But in addition to that, our customs and practices. So those aren't things that are written down in a law code as such, but they're things that we've been doing here for millennia, like, for example, celebrating solstice at Stonehenge or Avebury. You know, that's not written in a law, but everybody knows that's what we've been doing here for thousands of years. So those must be upheld as well. And then in terms of overseeing judgment in all of those laws, that must be executed by the crown and all of his or her servants in mercy in all judgments, in accordance with all of those laws. And then the third part of the oath is to uphold the church and all its doctrines, worship, sacraments, rights, privileges, properties, etc. And who the church was under each um, coronation oath obviously differed. But as you noted from the Queen's one, it's now officially the Protestant Reformed Church as established by law. So that means that any of the laws that go against God's laws in accordance with the Old and New Testaments and the Gospels are in breach of the coronation oath. And any of the laws that aren't being upheld that we have and have had had upheld for millennia, two millennia, you know, again, it puts oath holders in breach of the coronation oath and indeed in their own oath of office, their own oath of allegiance. And that is why the oath is so important in our constitution because it's recognized that men can go astray. They can write tyrannical laws. They can, you know, not uphold them in their own courts. They cannot 
be upheld by anything binding on their soul. They can perjure themselves and not bother about it. But we've recognized for at least 2,000 years that ultimately, if you swear an oath on your soul, you will be judged by God. And for a Christian, that is the ultimate judgment. And, And that keeps people on the straight and narrow. And that's why we recognize it. And that's why... When we had the civil war in the um, you know, 1640s and we brought the king to trial for tyranny, before Parliament allowed William and Mary to take the crown, they had to swear the coronation oath in the wording that we the people had put into the Coronation Oath Act 1688. And at the same time, we insisted that they gave royal assent to the Bill of Rights, which, whilst it's called a bill, is actually an act of Parliament. I don't know why it was ever still called a bill, but it's an act of Parliament and it's still law. So we insisted before the Crown was accepted that you know all of our charters of liberties to date were enshrined in that. And that includes the Charter of Liberties 1100 that was issued by King Henry I, William the Conqueror's grandson. And it includes, of course, the various versions of the Magna Carta. And it includes all the other sort of charters and rights we were, had accrued by 1688. And so that was enshrined also with the Oaths Acts. So the Parliamentary Oaths Act, for example, the Oath of Allegiance Acts. And it, they all say that if you are serving we the people via the Crown or by the House of Commons or by the House of Lords, you must uphold these laws, all of them. You don't get to cherry pick them. You must uphold all of them. Um, And then fast forward, you know, and we find ourselves, as Kate pointed out, you know, two world wars. And then we have all that stuff going on at Nuremberg and all our rights being trashed all over again. So then we have the Nuremberg Code and then we have the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And then we have the European Convention of Human Rights. And then we've got the Human Rights Act and all these other conventions and rights that we've had, which have added to the last 2000 years of rights and liberties. But lo and behold, Literally, virtually every single law that I can think of at the moment, that's a bit of an exaggeration, (laughs) poetic license. But, you know, I cannot (laughs) believe how much uh, law is being broken, both domestic and international. And it's just shocking. So, yes, yeah, there can, we go. That's a long answer. Hopefully that answered a lot. No, that's, that's fantastic. In fact, I, I would love for you to elaborate just for a few minutes for our um, audience, because I spoke about you know, the protector over there from the 1600s, uh, Oliver Cromwell. And I was just going to show this, this uh, the movie Cromwell. Uh, some of the people remember this guy, Richard Chamberlain. Uh, I know some people, you know, shunned the Harry Potter. He was the guy who was the, the, the wizard there in that or whatever. Anyway, the point is, is boy, he was, he was really strict on the idea of the worship of God. And when they brought in just like some candles and a gold cross, he lost his mind over that and said, no, 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 no. This is not, this is not how we worship God. God is to be worshiped in spirit and truth. That's what led him on, on to what he was doing. Could you elaborate on that just a little bit and what took place as, as the King of England, Charles I is actually bringing uh, the enemies of the Protestant faith, the reformed Protestant faith, He's bringing the enemies in there of Rome from, what was it, Ireland and Scotland. I think he was trying to bring them in to invade England, and they had given him opportunity. They fought, they caught him, and they gave him opportunity to repent, and he was just as hard-hearted as could be. And can you give us a story, a, you know, a synopsis of what went on there and what they had to end up doing to him? Yeah, but if you wouldn't mind, I need to put it in a greater historical sure. context, which is this, that, of course, when Jesus came on the scene, the Roman um, civilization and empire 
um, of course, you know, killed all the initial Christians and had outlawed it. And then we have the Edict of Milan, I think it was, that granted religious toleration. And of course, we ultimately know that Emperor Constantine became Christian. But during that time, you have this massive tension between the Christians and the non-Christians and the people who believe that, you know, anybody who's upholding the new religion is a heretic and the ones previously were heretics. And you know, you've got all that going on. And essentially, we've never lost that in this country. So we've always had this tension between, you know, Christianity as disseminated by Rome under the Pope, the Roman Catholic, Catholic version. I was brought up as a Roman Catholic, actually, um, and I now don't cast myself as a Roman Catholic. Um, but others, you know, they are definitely absolutely against any Roman involvement whatsoever. And of course, that, you know, the Romans were here until something like four or five hundred AD. Then they went, but of course, a lot of their material and their thoughts were still here. And then Augustine, monk Augustine, was sent over by the Pope in 597 AD with 20 other missionaries. And he established, you know, another form of Popish religion again. And then, of course, we know what happened with Henry VIII and the church where he, he declared himself absent from the church. I mean, you know, the Church of England. But before that happened, which is really interesting, is the when John, King John of Magna Carta fame, uh, ends up having to run away to France and is in such conflict with his barons that he's he's really scared, not only for himself, but losing his French lands and he can't defend himself anymore because he's spent so much in war and nobody's behind him. He calls in the friendship of the Pope, who ends up agreeing to be effect effectively Britain's landlord. They would protect Britain from further French invasions. And that's been the case ever since now. So what we have in this country is a constant threat of what's called the Popish invasion, which was partly what was terrifying Cromwell, but it carried on terrifying people in, you know, even further on. And it's always been that tension. So that, again, that was a moment in time where what you had with the, um, with the kings and the uh, certain religious or theological uh, concepts was, for example, the divine right to rule where the king and the royalists interpreted, you know, the intercessor on earth, the crown, as having the ultimate right to rule over everything in accordance just with God's laws. And the tension came with the people of, well, yes, but hang on a minute, your grandfather, King James, wrote the version of the Bible. We don't entirely know whether those laws are as set out and actually, and so on and so forth. And we've always been arguing about it. Okay. All right. Answer it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's great. Uh, and ultimately, when the when the king, like uh, King Charles, would not repent, when he would not keep his oath, when he would not do uh, perform his duty as the minister of God, this is one of the things I really like when I see um, you know other other uh, countries, especially in England, they don't call their their person. Uh, uh, an, uh, um, I'm trying to think of a secretary or something. They call them a minister of whatever they're doing. And it falls in line with what we read in Romans chapter 13, that the, the king or the one who is in authority in America, it's the people. Uh, they're the authority. And so <clears throat> they are ministers of God, and they don't bear the sword in vain, uh, but they, they, they use that sword to punish the evildoer and to praise those who do good. And, uh, boy, that's been stood on its head both in the, in the U.K. and also here in the United States. Let me ask, let me ask Kate something here, bring her in, because she's sitting patiently, and I know she's enjoying the, the, uh, the lesson here as well. 
You know, Kate, you've been pointing out these things for some time before, you know, I had a chance to talk with Anna. Uh, you and I have, we have a, a similar history from the countries that we came from. They're, they're both founded upon these, these principles of, you know, the Bible. And of course, I, you know, I say the states had it right. And in our Constitution, we left off the deal that people are going to uphold the scriptures of the Old and New Testament as the Word of God, and that there is a um, proclamation of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the person of Jesus Christ and that gospel. It was a simple oath to say, we affirm these things. And you've been, you've been faithful in going out and saying those things and then pointing back to the law when you're speaking. Even on this, all this uh, brouhaha that happened the other week, you were pointing back to history and back to the law. Why were they? Why were these uh, these Nazis hung? Why were they? In, why were some of them in prison? Well, it was because they had violated the, the the laws of man and the laws of God. And you were warning the people who are engaged in in modern day twenty twenty one UK and around the world. Hey, you better get off that bus. You better repent. That would be the proper word to say. You better repent and stop doing that. And you better start calling it out for what it is. And I'm assuming probably you've gotten some training here from Anna as well, but but you've been instructed in a lot of this history also. Do you want to comment on that just a little bit? Well, I think um, for me, and anyone who knows me, I, I, they call me a, a newbie Christian. It, it took for my very good Christian friend to die, who spoke eight languages, to, to, to have, um, if you like, I feel it was the day the Holy Spirit came in me, but I instinctively, as a child, as we grow up, we know when something's right or wrong. We instinctively know if something's right or wrong. And I followed and I pray every morning. I also go on my garden with no shoes on and pray. So when I pray for things and I, I always say, Lord, speak through me. And it does. It just comes. And everyone that I've needed at specific times in what I'm doing has crossed my path. And so Anna crossed my path exactly at the point when I was ready, when I needed that and I was ready. So I already understood a, um, a little bit of common law and I was certainly arrested using a common law that hadn't been used in this country for 14 years. So they use it when it suits them. And when I said that, and, and I'm very grateful for, uh, for meeting Anna and for putting in um, what she has and explaining it further to me. So when I when I read about some of the testimonies and Anna's told me when the, those nurses were cross-examined and the doctors, what they actually came out with, what they actually used in their defense, we are taught that um, ignorance is no excuse in a court of law. And we're taught what we can do we don't need to be taught. We know intrinsically when it's right or wrong, but we follow our code of conduct, the NMC code of conduct, and the doctors follow their GMC. And so all of these nurses out there, they know, they know that they're breaking their code. They know. And the NMC know that they're breaking the very code that they state that they are um, adhering to and monitoring these nurses that are on here, they know. And that's why there's not just me that got struck off. There's a lot of nurses coming behind me, lots of nurses leaving. So I believe the reason that, and I don't believe it was just somebody randomly 
you know, took the video and edited it and shoved it out on Twitter. It was an absolute attempt to discredit, but it won't because when you, when you, um, when you have God, no one can stand against you. And using all of those things, using all our laws, using scripture, using my own discernment, using my training, using the reason I became a nurse, I will not move. I will not budge. I will not quiet, quieten. I will not be threatened. I will not be frightened. I will not be silenced until the moment when I leave this earthly plane, which Amen. will be God's will. So they don't scare me, none of it. But I think what I said scared them. Because when you put it like that, they all know what they're doing is not correct. And for those out there who believe that they are heroes and who believe the diatribe protect the NHS. And let's remember that the NHS is there for the people. We pay for it with our national insurance and our taxes. And yet we are now excluding the elderly, the mentally ill, the disabled from treatment. And just yesterday, I had a contact from a relative of a patient who had a Hickman line in where they deliver drugs and it's infected. But because she won't have a PCR test up her nose, they're refusing to treat her. This is not what we are as nurses. This is no longer following your code. It's following government diktat. And it is indeed, as Dr. Corbett has said, it is the Nazification Yep. Of the NHS. That's right. The NHS has been tried. So when I said what I said on that platform, and Anna beautifully came out in my defence and listed what I'd said and stood beside me. She didn't stand in front of me. She stood beside me and used the law. I think that it has made many people very uncomfortable very uncomfortable because I don't believe we're inherently born evil, but I think what happens, it's like a, it's like a bucket with a dripping tap. At what point does that bucket become full? Do you notice it becoming full? Drip, 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 drip. And we've had nurses believing that they're heroes, having the seal clap on a Thursday night, which is bizarre having doctors deciding who can get treatment, who can't, because they won't wear a mask, they won't have a test, which is not their code. Um, We've seen exclusion of certain groups of people. Are they life, not worthy of life? Uh, We've seen abuses of human rights, and we're seeing more and more and more of it, this dripping tap. And what we're doing is we're calling them, calling them to, to be accountable, And I've called them to accountability. And I think it's ruffled a lot of feathers. And so it should. And so I say this to all you nurses out there. If you feel uncomfortable because, and doctors, and any other healthcare professional, if you want to call yourselves a professional, I mean, really, if it makes you feel uncomfortable by me reminding you, lest we forget a period in time in history where they were doing experiments on humans which is what you are doing by injecting an unlicensed uninsured untested experimental bioengineering device into men women children and unborn children if that makes me it makes you uncomfortable when i point it out you know it's wrong and by god 
you better get off that bus. That's right. Because you are going to stand trial, if not in this life, which I hope you will, but in the next. And it won't be my law. It's the Rome statue. I won't be deciding. But the people are keeping score. The people are keeping score. You have a duty to display your name as it appears on the NMC register and on the GMC. You have a duty to display your name. And that is there to protect you and to protect the public. So when you will not give your name, when you lie or you are ignorant, which you cannot be because ignorance is no excuse in a court of law, you are responsible for your acts and omissions. Mm. So when you won't give your name and you're not following your code and you will stand in that court of law as a man and a woman. You will not stand with the NMC backing you. You will not stand with the NHS backing you. You will not stand with the government backing you. You will stand accountable for your acts and omissions. And I believe that you are a war criminal and it will come to light and you will stand trial if that is what you are doing. And it appears that is exactly what's happening because you are not gaining true informed consent. And that's a whole list of that. And when you look at the document from the war crimes and you go down to 100 page, uh, 181, the page, um, Anna and I went through this yesterday about consent and breaking it all. You can't be coerced. You can't be led. You can't be threatened that you're going to lose your job. You can't be told you can't shop, you can't go to a nightclub, you can't do this, you can't travel, you can't do the other, you can't work as a nurse if you don't have it. It's coercion. So you're breaking the law because you're not gaining true informed consent. It's an experiment. That's right. So look back in history. Many went to prison and many hung. Which side of history are you going to be on? Yeah. Kate, uh, Anna, you guys hang on for just a little bit. We're coming up against the end of the show. And if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio, we're going to carry over. So if you want to jump on sonsoflibertymedia.com, right side of the page, and you can watch the rest of the interview or go to Rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live, all one word. Look that up uh, in the search engine. Change it to the channel. Don't do it in the videos. And then get on the live feed there. We're also on beforeitsnews.com and dlive.tv at The Sons of Liberty. And you can catch the rest of this. And what I want to do when we when we close out the show here is I want to I want to have Anna kind of come in and, you know, speak to, you know, I did this this little quick write up uh, because Kate sent me what Anna had written concerning the things that, uh, that that Kate had had said on on the platform there at Trafalgar Square. And and I want you to kind of pick that up when we come back after the closing out the show here. But you guys, Bradley will be on at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. Have a great weekend, a great Lord's Day. You guys coming over, welcome you. And uh, we'll see you Monday morning, 6 a.m., Lord willing. Until then, adios. Okay, all right, we want to welcome everybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio, and thank you guys for staying over. To me, this is these are exciting conversations because they're bringing the things that we've learned, right? The law of God, the gospel, all these things. It's bringing them to something 
that is modern. You know, a lot of people say, well, the Bible's ancient and it's outdated and it doesn't speak to anything. And you got these these yahoos that run around out there. See, I'm not a primpy guy. You guys know that. I'm, I'm, I don't. I'm not a. I'm not a primpy guy. But you got got these guys that that. Uh, they they're hirelings in the church. They they do their hair up. They have to have the right T-shirt on, the right belt. I mean, I was some friends brought me a, a, a thing out of one of these guys at Elevation Church, and they 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 put their they have to have a special kind of name brand belt with a name brand buckle and socks or no socks and a name brand shoes and jeans. And they think this is how you get out there and you talk to the people. And but there's there's little to do with justice. There's nothing really to do with the law of God. And the gospel is so distorted, you can't distinguish it as a gospel. So when we talk about these things, we're bringing, uh, we're making relevant. It's not we're making it. We're bringing it to the people's attention that that the Bible is very relevant, not just in the UK and not just in the United States. It's relevant to all men of all tribes, tongues, peoples, and nations. Because the Creator has given us instruction, and you know what? One thing that my pa- my former pastor had said was, he said, "I knew the Bible was true because I did all the stuff it said not to do, and I reaped the consequences of it, and they were bad, just like the Bible says." But then he says, "I started to do what God said, and I reaped the blessings of what the Bible says too." And so I think it's very relevant. But Anna, you know, I, I put this thing out as soon as I saw uh, Kate had shared with me your comments about what she had said. I, I immediately put this out. We'll have this in the archive so people can read it for themselves if they haven't already read it. But you came behind her and you stood with her and you said, no, she's exactly right. There's no crime that's gone on here. She does have a right to free speech, right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, exactly that. She does have a right to free speech. But more importantly, she has a right to set out factually and correctly um, what happened in history. And that's what she did. So, you know, the fact that, as Kate said, the fact that some people are triggered by that and feel threatened by it, um, I fully support and I say the same thing, which is her statement that it's not her threatening her uh, people and it's not me threatening people when I also talk about it. It's the law that's threatening them. And if they find it threatening, it's because they're on the wrong side of it. Um, But yes, in terms of picking up about the Nuremberg issue, um, again, going back to our history of laws, clearly when we look at God's laws, you're not supposed to harm each other in any way. So that's a very simple one of God's laws. But then when you look at the codes that we've written down, various kings and emperors and, you know, lawyers over the years, they've drilled down into the detail of that. You know, what does it mean when you hurt someone? So obviously experimenting on a human subject is one of those areas in which you could harm someone. And therefore they've had to create a code or set of principles about when it's lawful to conduct a human experiment, even though you're going to be cutting them open or putting poison into them, etc. And when it's not. Um, and so what they do in the Nuremberg um, cases is that they go into the body of law and principles that surrounded the medical profession up to that point. And indeed, as Kate was about to say on page 181 of the medical trials, they they set out what has been established, even through the course of the hearings, uh, you know, at Nuremberg, what we can all agree on were the established medical principles of the time of permissible medical experiments. And then what the court judgment does is go through the defendant's evidence and then look at the other evidence to decide whether or not they were conducting all these various different experiments um, in accordance with the medical principles of the time. And for example, they were conducting vaccination programs. 
And so they were selecting um, prison inmates to inject. They weren't voluntary. They didn't know what was going to happen to them. Some of them were injured. Some of them died. And so, you know, the fact is, whether you inject someone today or back in the Third Reich or in 50 years' time, the act of injecting someone can still be a criminal offence on the face of it because, for example, under our criminal code, 1861 Offences Against the Person Act, it's wounding. So if you stick a needle in someone's skin and it breaks the continuation of the skin, that is a wound. You've committed the act and you deliberately did it. So at that point in time, you've committed on the face of it the crime of wounding someone. If they then die or are seriously injured, then that crime obviously becomes more serious and it could end up with a charge of murder. Now, it's only lawful to wound someone or to give them medical treatment, etc., if they have the person has freely given their consent, free from coercion, fraud, deceit, threat, sanctions. They've been told about all the material risks. Um, you know, the, the trial has been conducted properly, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what they did at Nuremberg. They looked at all of those things, you know, the criminal side of it, the medical ethics side, the principles, and then concluded from all the evidence that some doctors had been in breach, some hadn't. In fact, some were, you know, found not guilty. But some were found guilty, and those who were found guilty incurring the death penalty, as Kate rightly said, the death penalty was incurred. And we only need to look at Leviticus, uh, talk about capital punishment, and, you know, you can say that that's horrible for the courts to impose that judgment, or do you look at the Bible that talks about when it's appropriate right. for a society to actually apply the judgment of God, which would be the death penalty. I mean, personally, I find it very difficult to even talk about the death penalty. But, you know, that is the legal position. Yeah, well, uh, you know, we've made we've made mention of that as well. And I think there's about 12 things that are capital crimes within Scripture. So it's not like every little thing you do. I mean, it wouldn't be if you stole something, you get the death penalty. You you have mm. restoration in in things like that. If you uh, go and you knock somebody's tooth out, well, the Bible says tooth for a tooth. You hurt their eye, an mm. eye for an eye. It's that kind of it's that kind of thing. It's not necessarily all or nothing all the time. But one thing we do know is the prison system is not a part of the scripture. That is something else. That's something that man's come up with. And, you know, I always find that <clears throat> very troubling because the victims, if they're still alive and their families and the rest of the people who weren't even victims, they're the ones who have to pay to keep up those people. Now, that's not justice. And justice is not sticking somebody in the little eight by eight cage and uh, three hots and a cot kind of thing, you know, for however many years you're going to throw them in there. That's not justice. We don't read that anywhere in the scriptures. Well, no, we see it under the Romans, obviously, uh, where people throw other people in jail and this, that, and the other. But as far as what God's law says, you're exactly right. There's there's a capital punishment. And, uh, you know, I've made mention of, about that uh, several crimes. And people say, well, Tim, you just hate people. You just want blood run in the streets. No, 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 no. Because the fact of the matter is... When that's carried out, it's not carried out by the state per se. When you go back and read about that, it's carried out by the people of the community. And they do it, and God says you do this so that, so that you will learn that you don't do things like this. So the people have a hand in that capital crime. And I told people, I said, if you think I want to go out there and have rock party with somebody, you're out of your mind. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that to anybody. I want them to do what we were talking about before. I want them to repent. And I think that's that's the desire of the Christian is we, we desire for people to repent, not to be those who face the punishment. But nevertheless, 
Kate had a right to say what she said. She was right in what she said. And you've explained that as to how they came to the conclusion that these guys over there in Germany were violating the law, not only the laws of man, but the laws of God. And, uh, you know, sadly, Anna, what we see is only a few of them actually got punished. The rest of them, they transferred over here. They sent them down to South America. They sent them down to Antarctica, all this kind of stuff. And they're continuing to do the same things they've done. And I think that's why we're seeing, at least in the States, I can't speak to the UK, maybe you can, but I think that's why we've seen this uh, allopathic medicine, you know, advance to the point where it is no longer, you know, for trauma, uh, you know, to deal with traumatic events. They're trying to do it, you know, to quote unquote, keep you healthy, this kind of stuff. They want to cut on you. They want to shoot stuff into you to quote unquote, keep you healthy, while at the same time, out of the other side of their mouth, they're saying, it's okay if you dismember, behead, and burn to death babies in the womb. I mean, I don't see how you how you can bring those two together. Well, if I may comment on that, sure. I think, um, frankly, and speak freely, I think our own medical services over here are completely hypocritical. They'll provide you with the services that they can make money from and they want to, and they'll totally deny and withdraw services they don't want to provide for you. So, I mean, I can confirm firsthand experience. I am being denied medical care um, because I can't wear a mask. I won't wear a mask, though, but I can't. It's, you know, I've got a precondition. Um, and I'm not prepared to take the PCR test because I know that there's hydrogel on there from the evidence and, and other stuff that's not good for me. Right. And it might, you know, damage my blood brain barriers. So on the evidence, I'm not prepared to take those medical interventions, which they are insisting is a condition for me to access healthcare. And this is what they're doing across the country. So I can give personal evidence on that. And I've written to them as a lawyer and challenged them legally and set it all out. And they just don't care. They just carry on breaking the law. Now, the problem is they're doing that across the country. So in this country, if they want you to have a treatment, because actually the doctors will get paid for it, they get paid £12.50 for every injection and then £12.50 for the top up. And if they travel around to someone's house, they get an extra tenner for it. Now, what is, so, you can, know, I, can I ask you? Done that. Yeah, can I ask They've you made something? a nice little m- amount of money from you. But if, you, if they have to spend money on you, like giving you some kind of treatment, like our mental health care provision is appalling. People are waiting years, years to get any treatment at all. Then Anna, suddenly there's no money. Anna, let me let me let me throw in a little bit because you guys use pounds and I'm dollars and stuff like that. What does that amount to for for guys over here in America? How much are they getting paid to give those shots? <laughs> oh, no, I don't know. Twelve pounds. Someone quick do a calculation. <laughs> add, add another third on. So if you say fifteen, you know it's going to be twenty. Okay. But okay. Add, generally add on about a third at the moment because i don't think it's two dollars okay. to the pack all right so they're days. so they're getting paid roughly 20 us dollars to give people these shots right something like that they're getting paid 20 pieces of silver yeah, 30 pieces. yeah paid. yeah sorry but I'm, I'm get it right <laughs> yeah 30 they're getting paid and they're all under the title of judas this is exactly what it is it's disgusting totally disgusting when you think like i said at the beginning of the show that they are at a shopping centre right now, as we speak, grab a jab. It's absolutely disgusting, vulgar blood money. I I like to say, Tim, I mean, I've I've got um, three grown-up children now, but they've only just gone through their teenage years. And I spent all those years frantically trying 
to, to get them not to take any concoction of drugs that were put in front of them. You know, go to a party and people being offered this, that and the other. And so I would teach them, you know, whatever it is that somebody's offering you, whatever it is, even if it's a doctor with a prescribed drug, please Go and look at that drug, what it does to your body, what the material risks are, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, let alone all the illicit drugs. And yet here we have a concoction of ingredients. Take, for example, the Pfizer injection that they want to stick into our 16, 17 and 12 year old up to down to 12 year olds. Now, when you look at that patient information leaflet, it specifically says you should get yourself clinically risk assessed. Um, but specifically, in case you have an allergic reaction to any of the ingredients, the active ingredient and the other ingredients. Well, now the active ingredient is B19N62 or something ridiculous. Nobody I've asked has been able to tell me what that ingredient is or indeed if their body is allergic to it or where they could get an allergy test for it, let alone all the other ingredients, let alone what those ingredients do to you in combination and in this country, they're mixing and maxing dosages anyway. So you might start with a concoction from Pfizer and end up with one from Moderna and a booster from AZ. So effectively, all the advice that you give your children about not taking unknown substances, not mixing them, not accepting them from strangers, not having evidence about what they are, that's all gone out of the window. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's it, it's really sad. And that's that's the thing that I think Kate has said from the, the beginning is, you know, nurses and doctors take a specific oath and she's pointed out, I don't think she's done it to try to be cruel to people. She's pointed out they're not even taking, in many cases, they're not taking care of their own bodies. So if they're not going to take care of their bodies, how are they taking care of yours? And and it, that's a real problem. You know, they're, they're to set the example. You know, we read in Scripture, uh, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, where to read where we have bishops in the church or elders, as we refer to them, or deacons. And they're 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 put in those positions uh, due to their character. In other words, they're they're demonstrating their own life what they're going to be an example for the people of God. And and the Bible says if you if you can't do that in your own house, you 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 don't have the ability to do it with the people of God. So this this applies here. It's the same kind of thing. If these doctors and nurses are not taking care of themselves as they've took an oath to do, how in the world? Can they take care of anybody else or do it without, in essence, violating their oath, which is a violation of the law? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Tim, I, I just sent you a, a picture, actually, because I know it's, it's very famous. It was in the bundle of when I was first suspended. Uh, when I saw all the nurses dancing and the doctors on these videos at the height of this so-called pandemic, which never was. Remember, SARS-CoV-2 does not exist. It has never been isolated or purified. So we're not going to even say that. Um, but they were dancing. And we even saw some nurses carrying a dead body with COVID-19 on the bottom of it. They were dancing on these videos. And the one thing I pointed out was that they should all move a little bit more, break sweat and lose weight. Because we didn't just see overweight nurses, we saw morbidly obese. And it wasn't just one nurse, it was the majority of them. And we know that all ob obesity exponentially increases the risk of every single disease. So we are told in the code of conduct that we are meant to take care of our own health. And as nurses, you are professionals, you are ambassadors of your profession. 
So to stand there, morbidly obese, eating chips with cheese on, going outside and having a cigarette or having a vape, drinking a Diet Coke, or the fact that in all of these big major hospitals in the United Kingdom, down in the foyer, because they pay for it, you've got Dunkin' Donuts, Costa Coffee, um, what's the other one, Uh, Domino's Pizzas, none of those things which are conducive to health. And yet this is what they're putting in these hospitals in the in the foyers. All of this is not conducive to health. Now, I've just sent you a photograph. Okay, now I I got it. Yep. I do believe that nurses should be educated on nutrition because you are what you eat. Today's food becomes tomorrow's cells and no amount of exercise is an offset for a poor diet. Where's the evidence for that? The outside of our cells are made by the oils that we eat. So if we're eating all the bad oils, we're going to set up inflammation. And it's going to push oxygen away from the cell. We eat the correct oils, pulls oxygen to the cell. And also, um, we know that long distance runners and Ironman challenge Um, guys and gals, they get a high incidence of cancer. So we know that we should be fighting anything with our nutrition, not giving the devil's soup in a syringe, which is not conducive to health, to fight a virus, if one does indeed believe you can catch a virus. Now, that thing I've sent to you, Tim, which is really interesting, it says it's it's the NHS new flyer that's being put up in the doorways of surgeries, of hospitals, of supermarkets. And it's saying, protect you, your family and patients, get the flu jab. And then underneath it actually states, you can give flu to your family and patients without having symptoms. What a load of tripe. (laughs) Yes. It's characterized by a high temperature, aches and pains, loss of appetite, fatigue, and copious amounts of snot. And that is the way that the body detoxes. It's the way that it does this. And lo and behold, on that picture, I would struggle to find a normal body weight among any of those four nurses. And three of them, I'd go as far as to say, they need to give me a call drop me an email because I could certainly improve their health. Because by being those weights, you're going to not only increase all your chances of disease, but having big boobies and a big gut and a big ass on a woman, every single fat cell increases your estrogen. They secrete your estrogen and it's going to put you into estrogen dominance. And what does that lead to? Breast cancer, ovarian cancer. Now, breast cancer in the UK is one in seven. And at the moment, overall cancer is one in two. And all the main charities state that by 2050, cancer is going to be 100%. So I, for one, I'm sorry if you're offended. When you're offended, it means you might take action. Do not want to see overweight nurses with big boobies, big, big guts um, on a poster saying, get your flu jab because you can be a spreader even if you've not got any symptoms. It's complete madness. It's bastardization of science and it's complete brainwashing. It's the biggest psyop I have ever seen. And if we can't, can't show these people what they're doing is wrong, then we need to use the law, the real law to stop it. That's all we've got now, the law and God's law. And that's what lawyer Anna in front of me that you can see and I are going to do.
Let's let's close out with this. I'm going to give you the final word here, uh, Anna, and and that is, what are you guys doing right now? Because I know you're working on some some offensive uh, instead of just you know Kate's defensive legal deal. There's there's also some offensive work that's being done, which I like to see. What exactly are you guys working on right now to to make sure that that you're you're the ones not uh, being controlled by the narrative? You're going to drive the law right back at those who are supposed to uphold the law. What's going on there? Yeah, well, there are several teams working on different legal action. So obviously, I'm not doing all of them. Um, so some teams are concentrating on the various cr- um, criminal claims that are being brought. So all kinds of criminal complaints are being filed all around the country um, to get the police to try and investigate our bodies of evidence that we're submitting to them. We're having trouble with that because the police are claiming that, you know, they're not going to investigate. So those criminal claims have to keep flooding in. Um, On a civil basis, we've been bringing various judicial reviews of our laws um, and uh, not getting very far because, unfortunately, we're not sure how objective the judiciary is, but we have to bring them. Um, There has been a judicial review, actually, which I think everyone would find helpful, which is called Bell and Tavistock. And it was a case that was decided Well, the judgment was handed down on the 1st of December 2020. So it's our latest position on this, which is looking at the ability of children from as young as 10 or 12 up to 18 being able to give informed consent to a medical procedure and the judges very helpfully go through the law so it includes you know the medical principles we've just been talking about um, and sets out very clearly their overall conclusion that children cannot be deemed to be what we call over here gillet competent in other words competent in of the right mind and understanding for their age to be able to take part in human experiments with an experimental innovative product when there's very little efficacy and safety data and they have no idea what the long-term effects are going to be. So that's our latest legal position in this country. Now, it's very clear to us that the government and the schools, etc., are breaking that latest legal position, clarifying the law up to that point, And so we're issuing notices of liability to all the um, boards of governors of all the schools, to the head teachers, to the deputy head teachers and to all the vaccinators. Um, But we've also issued notices of liability to some of the key perpetrators in the country. And when I say we, I'm talking about we the people because they're being issued from people and groups all across the country. Um, because we are a common law jurisdiction. And in this country, that means that the living man or the living woman is held responsible for their actions, both in criminal and civil law. And it's a personal responsibility and liability. So these notices are going out to these individuals in their personal capacity as the living man or woman. And they set out our allegations. They set out the legal position they set out a whole lot of demands for evidence. So, you know, we don't believe what you're saying, essentially, and here's all the evidence we want from you. Um, and that the effect of that is that we can then prove at that point in time that those individuals absolutely did know what was going on. They knew the laws they were breaking. And if they don't cease and desist, then we can prove in, a few, in future proceedings that they absolutely knew. We can also prove if they knew up to that point but it serves the great purpose of, you know, those who really don't want to break the law, they will stop doing it. That's the point. Um, But those who are breaking the law knowingly will then carry on breaking it. And of course, we know who the real criminals are then. Yeah, absolutely. Now, 
one final question about how long does this take to put that in so that you actually get some some uh, traction on that to where it has some kind of effect in the public square? Well, well I'm, add, yeah, sorry, go on, Kate, you do. Yeah, just add, um, I've gone, um, obviously, Anna's um, a fantastic lawyer, and I'm a nurse. I, I might not be on the Nursing and Midwifery Council anymore, but who would want to be? But I am a, a, a nurse prescriber. Now, I have spoken to many people at ground level, and the latest thing in the UK is you can't go to a nightclub unless you've had two injections. I mean, this is utterly outrageous that they would do this. It's on a whole new level because it's targeting an age group. It's targeting our 18-year-olds to like our 25-year-olds and all of those that go to uni. So this is the latest thing. And I came across three young men yesterday on the forest who two of them had had both and one of them had gone that day, yesterday, to have his injection. And he gave me his paperwork and I asked him, did you, did you have this paperwork before? Did you get time to read it? Did you understand it? Did you have time to ingest it, you know, mentally? And he said, no, I was given it. And then the next thing, it was my turn. And they said, have you got any questions? And they injected. This is what they did. And so that's not true informed consent. I said, were you told where on this form you must go and report any adverse reactions? And he said, no. I said, were you told that there could be deaths, there could be clots? And he said, no, all I was told was that I would get mild, I could get mild flu-like symptoms. So this isn't true informed consent. It's medical battery. It's, it's harm. Amen. What That's was right. Yeah. And this was a young man. And I said to him, would you be willing to, to do a statement? And he said, yes. And I got where he had this done. He gave me his document with his name on and the batch he'd had done. And this is now getting evidence because this is someone that's had it done. He wasn't, there were so many breaks in this, in this whole consent process, so many breaks in it. But also the very fact that this age group is being targeted deliberately. What they're doing is they're taking all the different age groups because they know now they came out in the summer and said, you won't be able to, knowing that the school holidays were about to break, which is traditionally when everyone takes their children and goes abroad, those that are fortunate to afford it. Um, and that let's remember now that a lot of people are even using food banks. So they knew that this was a target group they would hit. And they said, you'd need two injections to travel. So this is a very cleverly orchestrated, coercive uh, tactic and they are coming down the age ranges. And now we're starting to hear grumblings of you may not be able to go to lectures unless you've had two injections. So we know in this country that our children to traditionally go back to university in September. So they're already starting to water that seed of you may not be able to go to lectures. And they've not said yet you won't be able to go to university. So they're doing this now. They're, they're using coercive tactics, very cleverly done on specific groups of people. That's what they're doing. And it's, it's getting the evidence and collating the evidence because it is about uh, collecting that evidence for individual men and women, as Anna's rightly pointed out. So 
what we are going to do is start collecting evidence of places where they're doing this. And then we go there, and this is actually breaking the law. We go there and catch them in the act. And this is the thing you see. They will be caught in their act because they're being caught already. And it's about reporting it to the police because they are civilians in uniform of the people there, the, uh, of the people for the people, there to uphold the law in this country, not there at the behest of a tyrannical government. That would make them agents of the state. So we will call the police. We will set out what's happening. A crime has been committed. We will call the police and it will all be recorded on film from start to finish what we're doing because this is evidence This is evidence that will later be used. Now, they tell us that when they arrest us. Anything you say may be used as evidence against you in a court of law. Yes, it might. And so we're going to use those laws. Amen. And and, and I'm not, you know, my thing always being consent. And just going back to what Anna said, which is very important, they use the Gillick competency, which was actually, it came about over contraception. And when you start to unpick the Gillick competency, a child can consent for themselves for a vaccination, but they can't consent for themselves and be Gillick competent if they don't want a vaccination, which is really interesting. So they only have Gillick competency if it's for an injection and not against an injection. And I'm going to leave you with one thought. When these children go and they start to be injected with this experimental, unlicensed, untested, uninsured bioengineering and they start to die, which they will, or they start to have serious health adverse events like acute cardiac incidents, of which there's already been nine and a half thousand in this country and 1,500 deaths. When these young adults and children that have gone and had it done without their parent consent. What will those parents do? Now I can tell you right now what I will do as a mother if my child were to go and be injected by somebody without true informed consent and they die. As a mother, there will be pain there will be wailing and the gnashing of teeth. And it tells us that in scripture. Yep. There are going to be a lot of parents who are going to be baying for blood. Yep. And that's not inciting anyone. When we see that children in history have died through negligence and incompetence, be it from sexual abuse, from war, from anything, what do those parents do? Well, they go after they the come- perpetrators. Look what happened on the streets of Leicester when the children died from smallpox vaccines. They didn't have social media. They didn't have mobile phones. They were out on the streets. They were looking for retribution. They were looking for someone to be held accountable. So when those children start dying, oh, my word, my word, I... I'm getting goosebumps and feeling sick even talking about it. There will be wailing from parents when those children start to die. And it will happen because we've seen 12,500 deaths in the States, over 1,500 deaths in the UK. Yeah. 
And um, let me let me leave you guys with uh, with something here. Uh, and I want to actually, oh, I want you, I want you to answer the question. Uh, yeah, I was going to. That's fine. I was going to let her answer the question, and then I I got a few things I want to give you guys from the chat that's come out today. Uh, some funny, some encouraging, and things like that. But Anna, how how long are we looking at before this thing gets that traction to where you know it starts uh, taking hold in the public? The public is already out in the streets, but they're still being they're still pushing and pushing and pushing the people and i think they're doing it intentionally uh to try to get a rise out of the people so then they can come in and drop the hammer on them but how long are we looking at before maybe this thing gets some traction in the public square well when you say this thing which do you mean the notices of liability yes what you're what you're putting forth uh, legally well okay um I happen to know on good authority that uh, Matt Hancock resigned on the 14th day of a notice of liability that was sent to him. So the time period, that could be total coincidence or it could be that he looked at his legal position and realised he'd better resign. So there are resignations that follow these. And that's the idea that, you know, people, as Kate says, they have to decide whether to stay on the bus or get off it. If they, you know, the notice of liability fixes a point in time and knowledge on someone. So if they don't resign or they don't stop what they're doing, then obviously the next stage is to have to take them to court. So how long is a piece of string? Because it depends how long it takes to get it in front of a judge. So one of our pieces of work that we're doing is to put all this out into the court of public opinion. So obviously publish these documents, publish the laws, debate it amongst the public and just and let the public decide whether or not they want their children to be going to school on the days when the vaccines are given out. Because personally, as a parent, um, you know, I took the decision on certain school days not to send my children into school because I felt I couldn't trust my children's schools to comply with the consent forms that I'd issued. And unfortunately, there's plenty of evidence in this country that that happens, that even if you send in your child with a form that specifically says neither my child nor I consent, you must not give them this injection. And this is in respect of flu vaccines or HPV vaccines or other ones. It's happened. So frankly, you know, at the end of the day, people have the ultimate power not to let their child be injected by not letting them go to school, because under this country's laws, you've given implied consent. If you send them to school, it's complied consent that, you know, they're there and therefore the school can act in loco parentis. And if they don't take, take the child through the proper informed consent, Gillick competence, Fraser guideline stuff, then your child will get injected. So that's the ultimate power that a parent has. In terms of bringing these perpetrators to account, you know, we, we lawyers already have so much of our evidence, so much of our submissions already prepared. It's now just a case of going through the process. And as I say, it's happening internationally, not just domestically. So it's just a matter of time, really, before these perpetrators will be brought to account. Okay. All right. Great. All right. So here's here's a couple of things. Um, Kate, you're more of a nurse than many people who are still practicing as a registered nurse. Uh, nurse Cratchit, right, from the flu, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, which uh, Kate did do a, a, a nice impression of that. We had her on the show doing that um, <laughs> shortly after I played that the, the guy with the blender and stuff. And uh, another one says, yeah, Kate is my nurse, too. And uh, early on, I got to tell you, Anna, the, the people, I think they loved your um, your mural in the background. Oh. And so I was looking it up because they said, it looks like she's coming to us like a genie from the bottle. <laughs> Do you know, that's so sweet. That was a friend of mine who was homeless for a bit. 
and so he stayed here and he's a graffiti artist and I came back one day to, and he painted this incredible graffiti on our garden wall. <laughs> uh, well, I was looking up that. That's why the music came in a little bit earlier. I was looking up the I Dream of Jeannie uh, little music. I wanted to just kind of play that when we did it, but I thought that was great. Uh, thank you for coming on with us and spending time with us. And uh, Kate is always great to have you on on Saturdays and the information that comes there. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I really believe, you know, the scripture says when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord raises up a standard against it. See, at the Sons of Liberty, we don't believe in this doom and gloom stuff. Yeah, I know they're trying to push a cashless society. Yeah, I know they're trying to push a one-world government. But you know what? Scripture also tells me that there's a, there's a stone cut out without hands. And it smashes the idols, the, the, the nations, the way man rules, and it grows into a big mountain that encompasses the earth. And the, the Bible tells us that the, the earth will be filled with the glory of God, and that is under the rule of King Jesus. And he's been sitting on the throne subduing his enemies. This is what I constantly tell the people who listen to the Sons of Liberty. We are not sitting here waiting on the end of the world. No, 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 no. We are occupying until Christ comes or we go to be with him, one or the other. And, uh, and, and the idea that uh, this is over, well, you know, they say it's not over till the fat lady sings. And they, there's plenty of fat ladies, but they ain't singing yet. And so we've got, we've got work to do. And uh, you ladies, at least over there in the U.K., are on the front lines, and we commend you for that. And for, for all those men who are there as well, who are taking lead over there, we commend them, and for those here in the States as well. Thank you, ladies, for joining us. We appreciate you very much. And, uh, guys, don't miss Bradley, 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, sonsoflibertymedia.com. And also, have a great weekend, a great Lord's Day, and we'll see you on Monday, 6 a.m., Lord willing. See ya. <laughs>